going to begin a new series today uh, entitled Reset, and we're going to talk about how do we discover God's default setting for our lives. And if you were here last Sunday and celebrated Christmas Eve, then you received one of our Reset books. Uh, we gave these out as a free gift to everyone that was here last week. We did give out all of our books. I've had several people ask me, do we have any books left? And unfortunately, we do not. Uh, so uh, if you want to purchase one of these, you can go online, Amazon, or go to Bob Sorge's uh, website. I believe it's Oasis House, and you can purchase one of these. I want to encourage you, though, if you did not get one, to go ahead and make sure to purchase one of these. We're going to begin uh, this next week. Uh, so we start every January. For, for many years now, we've begun the new year with a 21-day uh, time of prayer and fasting. And the reason we do that is for many reasons, but mainly uh, because we believe it is a biblical principle that really sets the precedence for our year. Uh, there's a simple truth in Scripture called the principle of first fruits. And first fruits says what I do first determines what happens with the rest, right? And so we have consecrated and committed uh, that the beginning of every year we're going to take the first month of the year and we're going to commit 21 days to prayer and fasting, really just to seek the Lord and to press in uh, to allow Him to do what He wants to do in our lives. And every year we use some kind of resource, uh, some kind of devotional to help us do that, to keep us united, praying and worshiping and focusing together. And so this year we're using this book, uh, and it's a powerful resource. I want to encourage you again, if you didn't get one, to go out there and purchase one. Uh, and if you do have one, we're going to begin these together next Monday. So our prayer and fasting will start next Sunday, and we'll begin the book 20 Ways to a Consistent Prayer Life on Monday morning. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to get involved. So today uh, we're going to begin our series entitled Reset, How Do We Discover God's Default Setting? How many of you realize that uh, if you've got a smartphone, any smartphone owners in the house, anybody got a smartphone, right? Of course, almost everybody, right? If you've got a phone, it's kind of a smartphone. Maybe they're dumb phones, but they're aggravating phones sometimes. But anyway, we all have phones, right? And if you've used your phone for any amount of time, you probably had to maybe reset that thing because when our phones, they, they seem like they just, uh, they get bogged down. They start having glitches. They're not operating right. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And then you do that reset, right? And when you reset that phone, it takes it back to that default setting. It takes it back to that point where it functions like it's supposed to function, where it does what it's supposed to do, and it operates in a way that it is the most effective. And I just want to say to you that God has a default setting for our lives, that there is a default setting that when we go back to that default setting that God has for us, we function at our best ability. We, we, we perform at our highest level, and we are able actually to live our lives to their fullest potential when we operate out of that default setting that God has. And how many of you understand that because of sin, right, we live in a world stained by sin, because of selfishness and because of Satan, there are constant schemes against us to take us out of that default setting, to move us away from that original pattern that God had for our lives. And when we get moved away from that, we begin to really come short of what God has for our lives. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about really four very simple biblical truths that help us return to that default setting, setting, that help us tap in to that fullness of life that God really does have for us. So let's look together in Genesis chapter 1. If you're going to talk about returning to the original default setting, you've got to look in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, God... Um, 
gives us really a beautiful picture of what our lives were intended to be. And in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we're going to kind of understand and see the creation of man. And then in Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 10, we're going to see the temptation or the fall of man, as it's called in the Scripture. So Genesis 1, 26 says, And then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And look at verse 28. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, Genesis 3, verse 6, uh, Satan has came to Eve. He has tempted her. And the Bible says, And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So let's look at verse 28 again, because here's the question. Why do we need to reset? What does it mean to go back to the default setting that God really has for our lives? Well, in Genesis 1, verse 28, God really gives us a beautiful picture of what he created us for. Look what it says. I want to read it again. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. God intended, God's original design for man was that he would govern the earth as a representation of God himself. God's original intention, think about it, God made Adam and Eve, he made the entire world, and then he made Adam and Eve, and he set Adam and Eve in the garden, and God gave them governmental authority over the earth to rule and to reign in his name, to represent God on the earth and govern the creation that God had made. Now, we understand sin came into the world, and sin began to corrupt and pervert and undermine that work that God intended. And so we understand, why does it matter? Why does it matter that I go back to that default setting? Why do I need to get back to that place that God really created me to operate out of? I need to get back there because when I operate in that place that God created, I become a governmental agent that advances and implements the kingdom of God. It is through God's authority at work in you that his will comes and his kingdom is done in the earth. I mean, when you think about it for just a minute, why does, it, why does it matter that I go back to that default setting? Why does it matter that I get reset to the person God wants me to be? Because it is in that place of reset that I am able to represent God in a way that brings Him glory. It is in that place of reset that I am able to represent God and bring governmental authority into the earth. Now, the book of Romans says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's authority brings righteousness, peace, and joy, right? When God rules, you know what happens? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Think about it in your own personal life. When God is having his way in you, you know what happens? You do the right thing, right? There's righteousness, there is peace, and there is joy. When you begin to violate the life that God's called you to live, you know what happens? You stop doing the right thing. 
You lose your peace and you lose your joy. Why? Because the governmental authority of God always brings righteousness, peace, and joy. And so when you think about our world and you look at our world, and, and I have a heartbeat, man, I want to change the world, right? I want to look at our world and I want to see the injustices come to an end. I want to see the heartache and the heartache and the pain come to an end. I want to see hungry people fed and naked people clothed. I want to see broken people restored. I want to see addicted people set free. I want to see people that are bound in all kinds of forms and fashions of strongholds and pain. I want to see them liberated by the power of the gospel. So how do we do that, right? Because you look at our world, and our world is broken, and our world is battered, and it's really overwhelming. Like, how do we change the world, right? Let me tell you how you change the world. You let God change you. You let the governmental authority of God begin to operate in your life, and there is a supernatural chain reaction that begins to happen. Right? When you allow, when you return, when you reset to that person God's called you to be, all of a sudden you become a governmental agent. You become an instrument of righteousness through which God advances his kingdom. And it's no longer about, hey, i got to change the world. It's just about, hey, I'm going to let God change me, and I'm going to be the person God's called me to be. And all of a sudden, when that happens, his authority begins to flow through you. And you begin to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. Think about what your marriage would look like if righteousness, peace, and joy ruled the, ruled the marriage. Think about what your family would look like if righteousness, peace, and joy ruled in your family. Think about what your job would look like if righteousness, peace, and joy ruled, governed your job. Think about our culture. Think about our community. Think about our nation. And think about the world if righteousness, peace, and joy governed the earth. That is the, that is the manifestation. Righteousness, peace, and joy is the manifestation of the governing authority of God at work in the hearts and lives of of people. So if I want righteousness, peace, and joy in my life, I've got to reset to that default setting. I've got to get in that place that God created me to operate in so that I can become that vessel through which his authority flows into the world. Because this is what I know about righteousness, peace, and joy. It changes everything for the good. Right? I've been, I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've never sat down with a couple. I've never done marriage counseling where one of the individuals said, you know what, my, my husband or my spouse, they're just so loving and they're so kind and they're so considerate and they just go out of their way to help me and they're consistently serving me and they're unselfish and they just, they just always go on the extra mile and I'm fed of it, I can't take it anymore, I want a divorce. <laughs> never had that happen. I've never had that happen. I've never, I've never seen somebody that did the right thing over and over and over again. I've never seen a marriage end because of that. I've never seen somebody quit their job and their company because they just keep doing the right thing. Right? I mean, they're always doing the right thing, and they're promoting the right people, and, and they're honoring the right people, and, and we're producing the right kind of product, and, and it's just a great company to work, and I can't stand it anymore. i got to leave. Friendships never end because of righteousness. Right? Friendships never, I just can't be your friend anymore. You're just, you just always do the right thing, and you care about people, and you're compassionate, and you're kind, and you're selfless, and we just can't be friends anymore. <laughs> what would happen? What would happen if we reset? 
What would happen if we reset to a place where the governmental authority of God, where we begin to govern the earth through righteousness, peace, and joy, and all of a sudden, because we went back to the original setting that God had for us, now our lives begin to explode or exude with the authority of God. And here's what's exciting about that. When you begin to walk in that, when you reset to that default setting and the righteousness, peace, and joy of God begins to flow through your life, you don't have to be verbal, you don't have to be aggressive, you don't have to be pushy. Your presence invokes the authority of God. It invokes the authority of God, and you know that to be true because you know there are people in your lives, they walk in the room, they don't have to say anything, and the entire atmosphere changes. Not because they're mean, not because they're wicked, not because they're callous, not because they're cold, but because they are representing Jesus, and everybody knows it, not because of what they said or what they did, but because of who they are. There is a radiant glow. There is a governmental authority that that is transmitted as they walk in the room. And all of a sudden, everybody just straightens up a little bit, right? You just want to, I mean, when you get around people, you want to be on your best behavior, And it's not because you're intimidated by them, and it's not because you're afraid of them. There is something in them that compels you to be the person you know that you've been called to be. There's something in them that compels you to rise up higher than you've ever risen up, to do better than you've ever been, to be kinder than you've ever been, to be more caring than you've ever been. Why? Because it's not, again, it's not the pressure they put upon you. It is the authority of God that is flowing through them. Why? Because they have found out how to stay in a reset position where they're operating in the place that God originally intended us to operate in. And now the authority of God flows through them. So why do we need to reset? Because we need to go back to that place because our world needs Christians. Amen? We need Christians that walk in governmental authority. We need Christians to govern the earth again, to govern our own hearts, to allow righteousness, peace, and joy to begin to flow through us in such a way that it begins to change the atmosphere of where we live, where we work, and how we conduct ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, today we're going to look at our first point. Number one is prayer. Prayer resets us. Prayer resets us. Prayer takes us back to that default setting. And I want you to see this. There are a lot of things you can talk about when you talk about prayer. Prayer is, I mean, is a multifaceted uh, element of Christianity. And there are so many angles and depths and degrees of prayer that we can talk about. But today I want to talk about the most basic, fundamental setting of prayer. That default setting of prayer, where prayer takes us back. Look at that. Prayer resets us because it takes us back to the default setting, which is intimate communion with God. Intimate communion with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. Adam and Eve talked with God. Adam and Eve had an intimate, personal relationship with God. Right? Prayer is communication. Prayer is conversation. How many of you understand you can't have an intimate relationship without communication? I mean, let's, let's just be real honest. Getting in the bed together does not mean you have an intimate relationship. A lot of people have gotten in the bed together and there was nothing intimate about it. What makes an intimate relationship is the communication and the conversation 
that builds that relationship and takes it to a depth beyond anything that you can experience in a bed. And when the communication and conversation is right, then the intimacy that happens in the bedroom goes to a whole new level. But without communication and conversation, then it's just a sexual act that may not necessarily produce an intimate connection between two people. I mean, we live in a world where people are sleeping together all the time and there's nothing intimate or personal about it. And so the reality is, is that you can't have an intimate relationship with someone without real communication and real conversation. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with God. And what's exciting, when you think about the healthy relationships that are in your life right now, the healthy relationships in your life right now are the people you talk to consistently. Right? I mean, we all had those relationships where you see that buddy, and while well, we hadn't seen each other in six months, and it's just like, well, you know, I hadn't talked to you in six months, and now we start talking, it's like we've never been apart. But the reality is, is those are, those are interesting relationships. But the people that you're really intimately connected to, you don't wait six months to talk to. You're talking to them every day, multiple times a day. There is a consistent conversation that is happening. Why? Because you're in a relationship with them. And the more intimate the relationship, the more communication and the more conversation is required to sustain it. Right? When husbands and wives stop talking to each other, bad things happen. Right? Why? Because communication and conversation is really the lifeblood of intimacy. And when we stop talking to each other, and we stop communicating with each other, and we stop having real conversations with each other, all of a sudden that, that flame and fire of intimacy begins to fade away. Because everybody is really looking for somebody they can communicate with. They're looking for somebody they can have a real conversation with that becomes life-giving, and that's what prayer is. And so when we, are, when we move into a place of prayer, we're moving back into that default setting, that place of intimate communion with God where there's a real conversation that's happening. There's a consistent communication between us and God. What an awesome thing to think that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. But guess what? We have the same privilege, the same honor, and the same opportunity to do that today through our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about prayer, okay? I want you to see a couple things. So prayer is more. I want you to see this. Prayer is more than bending and bowing. Prayer is more than bending and bowing. Now, I believe we need to bend and bow. What do I mean by that? Right? There used to be a day when parents would teach their kids to pray, and we'd get down by the bed, and we'd do our hands like this. Y'all remember that? All right, we're going to do our nighttime prayers. Everybody, everybody get by the bed, and we would pray. Now, let me just say this to you. I, I, don't, I don't think we have enough bending and bowing today. I think there is some value in bending and bowing. I think there's some value in just taking a position and a posture of humility that acknowledged God's. I think that's important. And I, I think we need more bending and bowing. But I want you to understand, prayer is more than bending and bowing. Because if prayer is limited to my bending and my bowing, then prayer is limited. Let me say that again. If prayer is limited to my bending and bowing, then prayer is limited. Because there are really only a few places I can bend and bow. 
Because sometimes I need to pray while I'm driving down the road, and it's really hard to do that when I'm driving down the road. And sometimes I need to pray on the job while I'm in the middle of a meeting, and sometimes it's hard to just stop everybody and say, y'all, hang on just a second. Right? Sometimes crazy things are happening on your job, in your family, and you can't bend and bow in order to pray. So if prayer, prayer has to be more than bending and bowing. Prayer is actually, I want you to see this, walking and talking. Prayer is walking and talking. That's what Adam and Eve did. They walked and talked with God. The Bible says God actually showed up in the evening in the cool of the day, and, and it gives the idea that this was kind of their custom or their habit, that every day God would show up in the garden, and every day they would walk through the garden, and they would talk together, and they would fellowship together, and they had this relationship together. And so prayer is really about walking and talking. It's about coming to a place where it's not just about bowing and bending, but now it's about walking and talking, where I am constantly communicating with God. God wants us to have constant communion with Him. Intimate communion is constant, consistent conversation. Right? I mean, if you realize, men, that your wives and you probably talk more than once a day. Right? And for all you young people that are in here and you got your cell phone, you're constantly texting somebody all the time. Right? There is an ongoing conversation that's going on, right? We got this little group message. We call it the Hodges Family Group Message. And we have this constant, ongoing communication, right? And I have to shut my phone off to get away from it because it's like always happening. Right? We have this constant conversation of communication, and it may go silent for an hour or three hours or six hours or eight hours or ten hours, but you can be sure for the days up, somebody's going to hit that thing. Why? Because we have a real relationship with each other. And we actually care about one another. And we want to be involved in what's going on in each other's life. So we have constant communication. That's what prayer is. Prayer is walking and talking. That's what God wants to do. And when we get to the point where prayer becomes more than bending and bowing, and it becomes a part of walking and talking. See, because if it's just bending and bowing, prayer is what I do in my quiet time. But I mean, you know, I need to talk with God outside of my quiet time. Yes, I need a quiet time prayer, but I also need a busy time prayer. I need an active time prayer. I, I need a family prayer, and I need a work prayer, and I need I'm at church prayer, and I need all these crazy things are happening in prayer. And I need to be able to have constant communication with the Lord, and that's really what prayer is. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says this. It says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Well, that's kind of hard to do if praying is bowing and bending. Because if praying is bowing and bending, then, then i got to do this all the time because I'm supposed to never stop praying. So how do I buy groceries like this? How do I go to work like this? How do I conduct business like this? How do I spend time with my family and my kids like this? We're just all going to pray together. Everybody's just going to pray. See, some people have this crazy idea when we die and go to heaven, we're just going to all get up there and pray together. Let me tell you what, what intimate communion is. Intimate communion is prayer, but prayer is not just bowing and bending. Prayer is walking and talking. Never stop praying. King James says pray without ceasing. The word cease means stopping. So you can pray without stopping. What does that mean? I can do what I need to do. I can, I can talk to God without having to stop doing what I'm doing. Right? I can be taking care of the kids and I can talk to God. I can be in the middle of a meeting and I can talk with God. I can be preaching a sermon. Y'all be surprised how much I pray while I'm up here preaching. And I can be talking to God, Lord, help me, Jesus. I don't know what to say next kind of thing. 
Right? I, can, I don't have to stop. I can pray without ceasing. I can talk to God without stopping what I'm doing. I can be driving down the road and talk to God. I can be buying groceries and talk to God. I can be dealing with conflict and difficulties and problems and financial struggles, and I can talk to God. I can be doing my budget, and I can talk with God. If you don't have a budget, doing a budget is a good way to make a lot of conversation with God. You'll talk to him a whole lot. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. How do I do that? I want you to look next, next scripture, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. So it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The communion of the Holy Spirit. How do we pray without ceasing? How do we never stop praying? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have communion with God through the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life. And God the Father is in heaven and Jesus Christ is in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is the only part of God that's on the earth. And he lives in the hearts and lives of believers. And he is your helper, and he is your guide, and he is your comforter, and he is your friend. He is your strength. He is your shield. He is everything that you need. He is all of God manifested in your heart and in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And you can pray without ceasing. You can have a constant line of communication and conversation with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't learned how to do that, I want to encourage you, let 2018 be a year that you step into constant conversation and communion with God through the Holy Spirit. Because everything you hear from God, everything you receive from God, and everything you experience by God comes through the person of the Holy Spirit who now lives and abides in you. Amen? So every day we can talk to him, and every day we can have conversation with him. So prayer is not bowing and bending. Yes, that's part of it, but prayer is really walking and talking and learning how to commune with God, conversate with God on an ongoing basis. Again, think about that ongoing group message that you have or that group message or that message that you have with your spouse or with your friend, and you're always back and forth with each other. That's what God wants. That's prayer. Consistent, ongoing conversation and communication with God. Now, what's crazy? Isn't it crazy how, how we know that as Christians, right? Because most of you are here and you're Christians. You've been saved for a little while. And you're thinking, Pastor Keith, we know this. It's kind of old. You know, walk, talk, talk to Jesus. I know all that stuff. Isn't it amazing, though, how, how busy we get? How we can get caught up in the moment and forget that we can talk to God about that? That I don't have to stop doing what I'm doing to talk to God. I can talk to God while I'm doing what I'm doing, doing about the thing that I'm doing in the moment. Yesterday, I had a, just a little goofy little thing. My, I wear a contact in one eye, so I'm like a cyborg or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, I want a contact in one eye. And uh, my eyeball was really irritated. I took my contact out, and I couldn't get another one in. It was just hurting me real bad. And so all day I was rubbing it, and all day I was doing this, and all day I was doing that. And finally, yesterday evening, now I'm preaching on prayer and talking with God and walking with God here today, but I'm still slow. All day after rubbing my eye and frustrating with my eye and doing my eye, I finally thought, Lord, what should I do about my eye? <laughs> and he is so smart. God said, tell Kelly. And I told Kelly, she said, oh, I got these eye drops. Now you think I'm a pretty smart guy, I should have figured that eight hours earlier, but I didn't because I was so busy doing what I was doing that I didn't even think about talking to God about that thing that was aggravating me all day long. And all I had to do was talk to God about it. 
Think about Adam and Eve. What would have happened when, when Satan was tempting them? If they would have just said, well, let us talk to God about that. Let me talk to God about that. God, what do you think I ought to do? Now, here's the problem. The problem with most of us, too, is that we don't pray about the things we already know the answer to because we don't want God to tell us no. That's a whole other sermon, amen? So, prayer is more than bowing and bending. Prayer is walking and talking with God. Look at the second point. I want you to see this. Prayer is more. Prayer is more than telling God what we need. Now, we need to tell God what we need. That is an important part of prayer. The Bible actually commands us, encourages us to make our requests made known to God. Jesus said, whatever you desire when you pray, right? Believe you receive it, and God will give it to you. Make your request known to God. God wants us to tell him what we need. God, I need a solution for my eye. It's still hurting. I can't get it to stop hurting. I don't know what's wrong. I can't put a contact in it. I need your help. God wants us to do that. But how many of you understand prayer has to be more than just telling God what you need? Now, maybe you got somebody in your life like this. We all kind of have people in our lives like this. You got that person in your life that uh, the only time they call you is when they need something? So when your cell phone rings and you see their name on the, on the caller ID there, you say, I wonder what they want. How many of you know I don't want to be that person to God? I don't want to be that person that the only time I pray is when I need something. I don't want to be that person that the only time I call out his name is when I'm in need of something. I don't want God up in heaven elbowing Jesus saying, well, I wonder what he wants. It's been about three months. Something's probably wrong. Hadn't heard from him in a while. Now, I don't want to be that guy. Yes, I want to be the guy that tells God what I need, but I want to be the guy that talks to God every day. I want to be walking and talking. I want to be bowing and bending, but I want to be walking and talking. I want to have that constant communion with the Lord so that when I share a need with God, it doesn't seem awkward or weird, and it doesn't seem like I'm manipulating him or trying to use him or trying to take advantage of him because, God, I hadn't talked to you in three months, but now I really need something really bad, so I'm coming to talk to you today because I need something really bad, and when I do what I ask you to do, I probably won't talk to you again for another three months. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that lives in constant communion with the Lord. And so asking God for what we need is part of it. And so I'm not saying don't. I'm saying continue to ask and continue to tell God what you need. But make sure it's a part of an ongoing conversation that you have with God. And so prayer is more than just telling God what we need. Prayer is listening, learning, and following. Now Jesus said this. Look at the scripture there in John. Jesus said, my sheep listen. Look what he says. Listen to my voice, and I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. If you're a Christian, you have the ability to hear the voice of God. And if you're not hearing the voice of God, two things, either you're not a Christian or you're not listening. I found out the latter happens a lot of times. It's not that we're not Christians, it's just that we're not listening. And I have found out, let me just be real honest with you, the most exciting part of my prayer life is when I shut up and God speaks. When I shut up and God speaks, that is the most exciting part of my prayer life. I really don't get super excited about telling God what I need. I get super excited about hearing what God has to say. 
Because if I listen, I'll learn. And if I learn, I can follow and move in the direction that God has for me. And then not only does that happen, not only does God, not only does God give me instruction and direction on how to live my life, but God actually empowers me to pray because when I hear from God now, I know what I ought to pray about the circumstance that I'm praying about. And I begin to move in a whole new element of life and prayer through that intimacy with God. Now, we've all also had people, right? We've had that guy that calls us every time he's in need, but we've also had those other people in our lives that just always talk and never shut up, right? And it's really hard to have a relationship with a person that always talks and never shuts up because if they always talk and they never shut up, then you're really not having a conversation. And the reality is simply this. God doesn't want us to be that person either. God wants us to understand that prayer is listening, learning, and following. Listening, learning, and following. Listening, learning. It's walking and talking, listening, learning, and following. And if I can learn to listen, I can learn to learn. And if I learn something, I'll be able to follow God in a way that will, bring, that will bring me into a new element of who He is and what He wants to do in my life. I was thinking just earlier today about so many things when it comes to listening. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. The book of James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I need to learn to listen. Amen. When I was an early Christian and got saved, I remember being a young Christian, and I remember hearing people talk about, man, I'm praying for an hour, and I'm praying for three hours. And I remember sitting there thinking, how in the world? <laughs> pray for an hour? I can't pray for an hour. I mean, after about 5, 10, 15 minutes, I don't have anything else to say. And then I learned the secret of prayer. I can pray for an hour if I only talk for five minutes. And then I learn to listen. I can pray for three hours if I only talk for 15 minutes. And then I learn to listen. Prayer is not just telling God. Prayer is listening to God. And the problem is many people are not hearing the voice of God because we're not taking the time to listen. We want to tell God what we want to tell God, and then we're going to hurry off to what we need to do in our lives. But if I will learn that part of my prayer life is telling God what I need and listening to what God has to say. If I'll begin to take time to listen, God will speak and great things will happen. Now, again, prayer is walking and talking. So, so I, can, I can also learn to attune my ear to what God is saying because I love it when God interrupts the silence of my mind. Now, for most of you ladies, you might not understand this, but for all of us guys, us guys all understand this. Every guy has a room in his house, in his head, called the nothing room, right? And we can actually think about nothing, right? You ever had your wife or somebody ask you, what do you think about nothing? When guys say nothing, they actually mean nothing. I ain't thinking about anything. You, you, you ask a woman, what are you thinking about? They never say nothing. I'm thinking about this and this and this and this and this and this and that and that and all these 45 other things, and we got to do that and got to do that, and can you do that and all this stuff? But guys have a nothing room. I love it when I'm in my nothing room and I'm thinking about nothing and God calls my name. And he says, hey, Keith. Just like Jennifer shared this morning, God spoke to her and he said, I am God. I am God. Now, how many know Jennifer definitely doesn't have a nothing room? <laughs> she is full of life and energy. There's never a nothing room in her head. But God interrupts all of our stuff. And if we'll listen, right, if we learn to walk and talk and listen and learn and follow, all of a sudden God will begin to speak, not just in the stillness of our life, but in the daily activity of our life. And I have found out that's been some of the most valuable times I've heard from God. Not when I've had time to pray about it, but in the midst of, how many of you know, sometimes you don't have three hours to pray. Sometimes you've got 30 seconds to make a decision. 
I've shared this story all morning. I'll just share it with you guys too. Back when the tornadoes came through, we were ministering a lot of people. We had 98 guys here from five different states. Uh, we were the hub for the electric co-op company uh, here as they began to restore power to Arab uh, and to the surrounding communities. And we were feeding over 300 people every day. And we were doing an amazing work and so many people coming together. And it was an awesome time just to touch our community with the gospel. And uh, one day... Uh, the superintendent from the school called me and he said, hey, Pastor Keith, he said, I've got two freezers full of food I'd like to donate to you guys because y'all are doing so much to help in the community. And I said, man, that's awesome. That's great. Well, when he said two freezers worth of food, I thought my little, my little redneck mind, I thought two freezers like I got my garage freezers. He was talking about two walk-in freezers. So the next day he shows up with the food and we had two freezers empty to receive the food he was going to give us and I walk out here under the under the awning out here on the front of the building and he backs up a U-Haul truck filled with food and I began to explain myself you said two freezers I thought two freezers we don't have anywhere to put all this food and he just starts freaking out and so when he starts freaking out I start praying all right Holy Spirit what are we going to do what are we going to do what are we going to do Holy Spirit what are we going to do help and just like that the Holy Spirit said pack it down in ice and pull it under the shade tree and I said hey I know what we'll do we'll pack it down in ice and pull it under the shade tree <laughs> now if you remember when the tornadoes came it was April and it got up to be in the 70 degrees that week we were there for three weeks three weeks later we were pulling frozen food out of that U-Haul trailer because of God amen there's no reason <laughs> There's no reason it still should have been frozen. Other God said, do it. <laughs> and so here's the awesome thing is, is when, when you learn to walk and talk and you learn to listen, learn and follow, you get to experience things you would never experience. You get to see things you would never see. And you get to know God in a way you would never know him because that's who he is. Now let's look at that last point on our outline. I want you to see this. So God desires us to have more than a prayer life. He wants us to live a life of prayer. Now, we gave you this book, 20 Ways to a Consistent Prayer Life, and I just told you God wants you to have more than a prayer life. He wants you to live a life of prayer. So why did we give you a book on having a prayer life if God wants you to have more than a prayer life? Because here's what I know. Until you cultivate a prayer life, you'll never have a life of prayer. Everybody that I know that has a life of prayer has a prayer life. They've learned how to bend and bow. They've learned how to be still and be quiet and hear the voice of God in moments of solitude. And if you will cultivate a prayer life, it will empower you to live a life of prayer. Because sometimes discerning the voice of God is confusing, right? Sometimes we're like, is that really God? Is that me? Is that the devil? Who is that? But the more time you invest in cultivating a prayer life, the easier it is to live a life of prayer where you can walk and talk and listen and learn and follow him in a moment's notice because you have been faithful to invest private time. Now you can live public life displaying his glory. And so I want to encourage you as we begin next week to cultivate a prayer life. 
to make a commitment that every day I'm going to spend time at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to let this little devotional be a tool that God's going to use, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm going to cultivate a prayer life because I want to live a life of prayer. And I want to learn what it means not just to bow and bend and not just to tell God what I need, but I want to learn what it means to walk and talk, listen, learn, and follow Him in every arena and every facet of my life. And that only happens when I make that personal commitment to a prayer life so I can ultimately live a life of prayer. Now, there's a great scripture, Genesis chapter 5. I want to close with it. It says, And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had, and he had other sons and daughters. And Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. I believe that's one of the greatest testimonies any person in Scripture has ever had. He lived for 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. He had a prayer life. <laughs> he lived a life of prayer. He knew what it meant to walk and talk, to listen and learn and follow God. And he walked with God for 365 years in close fellowship. <clears throat> I was thinking earlier, boy, wouldn't it be great if that when we died, somebody could actually put that on our tombstone? What a testimony of a life well lived. They walked in close fellowship with God. And then the Bible says about Enoch that one day he disappeared because God took him. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what happened, why that happened. I just like to think of it this way. God enjoyed his fellowship so much, he decided he didn't want to live one more day without it. So he just took him home because he walked in close fellowship with God. See, whenever we pray... Whenever we pray, when we move just from bowing and bending and we move just from telling God what we need and we begin to walk and talk and we begin to listen, learn, and follow Him, all of a sudden we return and we reset to that default setting. And all of a sudden we become a governmental authority. We begin to represent and represent Christ in the earth. And the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit begins to exude out of our hearts and out of our lives. And all of a sudden we begin to allow His kingdom to come and His will to be done in our lives by simply returning to the place He created us to be. Intimate communion with God. I want to ask you just to bow your heads as we get ready to close. I realize that most of us in this room here today are Christians. Most of us are already walking with God, talking with God. But I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to step up your game 2018. I want to challenge you to take it to the next level. I want to challenge you to make a fresh commitment to your prayer life so you can make a fresh commitment to a life of prayer. That we would say, like Enoch, that I'm going to walk in close fellowship with God. And God, I want to know you more this year than I've ever known you. And I want to make you known this year more than I've ever made you known. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in me and through me so that the governmental authority of God would begin to flow through me, that righteousness, peace, and joy will be the manifestations of your authority in my life. 
and that everywhere that I go, I would represent you in the earth. God, I want to be that person. So Lord, today we commit today. We commit to be those men and those women of God. We commit to be that person. God, that you called us to be, to reset to that default setting of intimate communion with you. Walking, talking, listening, learning, and following every day of our lives. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, before we close today, I want to just give you one other opportunity, and that is that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never been saved, you've never really surrendered your life to follow Christ, and today you say, Pastor Keith, I want to enter into a relationship with God. I want to know Jesus today on a personal level. I don't want God to be this thing that's a million miles off. I want Him to be my personal Lord and my Savior. And I am willing today to submit and, and submit and commit my life to follow Him as my Lord and Savior. And today I want to be saved. I want to begin that relationship with Christ today through His Son. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do something really bold. I want to ask you just to stand to your feet all over this building. Today, Pastor Keith, I want to begin a relationship with Christ. I want, to, I want to accept Him today. God bless you as you stand. I want to surrender my life to Christ, and I want to accept Him today. As people stand, this is your moment. I'll give you just another couple seconds. But if you're here today and you say, this is me, Pastor Keith, I want to begin that relationship today. I want to know Jesus on a personal level. I don't want Him to be a God that's way, way away. I want Him to be a God that's near. And I want to know him. As you stand, our ushers are going to put something in your hand this morning. We want to give you some information to help you take those next steps, explain what we're about to do and what God's doing in your life right now. But we're about to pray. So if you want to, if you want to pray this prayer, I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to stand up right now if you want to pray this prayer. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. This is your moment. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me out loud, and we're going to pray it all together. But if you're standing, this is specifically for you, so let's pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, rose again on the third day, and He is the only way I can be made right with you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I surrender my life to follow you. I want to know you today in a real and a personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause this morning. Amen. Amen. If you receive one of those packets today, we want to ask you to just take a minute and fill out the card on the front. Uh, that'll just help us to be praying for you, to be able to follow up with you and help you take those next steps. Uh, you can give that to an usher if you want to come to the back. Our first-time guest area is in the cafe. You can bring that and give that personally to me. If you're visiting today for the first time, we have a gift we'd love to give to you today uh, back in our first-time guest area. God bless you. You are dismissed. Happy New Year. Amen.